The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell, he went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I'm seeing that a bunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Matthew Oware. Matthew and I overlapped for a few years at DePaul University in Indiana, but he recently joined the Department of Anthropology and Sociology at the University of Richmond in Virginia, where he's now the Irving May Professor of Human Relations. Matthew's work centers on the intersections of race, class, and gender in popular culture, with a particular focus on hip-hop music. In 2018, he published a book, I Got Something to Say, Gender, Race, and Social Consciousness in Rap Music, with Paul Grave. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So before we turn to my standard introductory questions, a quick question to pretty much highlight my ignorance. Is there a difference between hip-hop and rap? Yes, there is, actually. So hip-hop is youth-driven cultural movement created in the Bronx, New York, in the 1970s. And so it includes breakdancing, graffiti writing, DJing, and rap music. Rap music is a component or element of this sort of larger cultural movement. Whatever comes out of the rest of this interview, I learned that, and that will make me sound much less dumb when I speak to my students. <laughs> We're very good. <laughs> Back to the basics. What was the first sports team you ever supported? I'm from Chicago, so the very first sports team that I knew about and that I supported was the Chicago Bears. So what is your favorite political song? Uh, I grew up listening to rap music since I was 14. I only sort of became aware of the potency of the music from a political perspective when I was, I would say, 17, 18. And it was around that time that there was a song called uh, Fight the Power by Public Enemy, which still is sort of my favorite political song of, of all time. Yeah, and the title speaks for itself. Uh, right. And finally, what is your favorite political book? So around the time of my sort of growing consciousness as an individual who began to think politically around issues of race, when I was in college, I read the book called The Autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. And, and to this day, that still sort of sticks with me as my favorite political book. Yeah, that's an awesome book. This is a good segue to my next question, which is what inspired you to study social consciousness in rap music? In my opinion, uh, not enough has been written that explores how rap music contributes to conversations involving race, gender, class, as well as informing our understanding of the inequalities in the criminal justice system and the educational system in the U.S. and across the world. I mean, there have been books that have talked about these things, but again, in my opinion, not enough books that go and investigate these aspects from a more sociological perspective, which is what I sort of bring to the genre. So my work um, highlights the ways that rap artists address these issues in our society, again, from a sociological perspective. And just as a fellow academic, when you started out, weren't there senior professors who told you, oh, you shouldn't do that, you will never get a job? So in graduate school, I had inklings about studying rap music, 
producing scholarly work, engaging in scholarly analysis of rap music. I never brought it to my advisors as something that I wanted to specifically do for my dissertation because I knew at that time that it wouldn't be received well. But I'm actually happy to see that other individuals, maybe five, ten years later, did in fact engage in scholarly analysis of rap music and produce quite excellent um, analyses of rap music in their own works. I think it was just for the particular time period that I was going through graduate school, that wasn't something that would have been perceived of as legitimate and valid, legitimate and valid area to focus on. So this is a lesson to the listeners. Do what you're interested in, not what other people are interested in. So rap music is often associated with homophobia and sexism in the mainstream media. You have argued that rap, particularly gangster rap, reflects a stereotypical black masculine aesthetic. What is this so-called Batman trope? And has this changed in time? Yeah, so the Batman trope is essentially based on this notion of cool pose by Richard Majors and Janet Bilson. So as I argue in my book, it is this particular presentation of self that some black males put forth where they express themselves as aggressive, dominant, strong, and vulnerable, and emotional, and a ladies' man. So I find this theme expressed in the lyrics of rap artists from 2005 to 2015. This theme is present in the songs of rap artists prior to this time as well. Based on my cursory listening of rap music since 2015, I would say that this notion of the Batman trope is still present in the song of male artists. And what I mean by that is men still rhyme about their wealth, their dominance and control and their sexual prowess, right? So we still see the Batman trope resonating in black male rap artist music. And is this Batman trope also present in songs by female rappers? There's an analogous bad man trope for female rappers. Um, I characterize it as black female masculinity, um, drawing on Judith Haberstein's notion of female masculinity. So in uh, female rap artist songs, women present themselves as wealthy, controlling, sexy, and invincible. They usually control men and diss or slight female competitors. Similarly to males, they characterize themselves as winners. And in rap parlance, hopefully this is okay to say, but they uh, present themselves as bad bitches, right? So individuals who are uh, really sort of not to be messed with. They are sort of the top of their game. Which is quite interesting because that's almost the opposite as women are portrayed quite often by male rappers. That's right. That's right. And so women, they actually critique, challenge, push back against the characterization that male rappers have of them. But as I mentioned sort of in my work, there are places where they essentially replicate the misogyny and sexism that black male rappers have towards women in their own songs. Quite a lot of female rappers also portray a fairly sexist image, even though it is a little bit more empowered of women mm -hmm. than men rappers do. Is there something like feminist rap music? There is. There are women who engage in feminist hip-hop, what some scholars call hip-hop feminism, so the reversal of that. So in this approach, women resist and redefine how they are treated by men and other women. They challenge males who put them down and also argue that women can freely express themselves however they want. So their identities are not tied up in how others view and think about them. 
they, in many instances, push back against this notion of respectability politics, that is, women should behave in particular ways and not sort of talk about themselves in a sexual way because that's not sort of the normative behavior that supposedly women are supposed to convey, right? They, as a matter of fact, say that they can express themselves however they want to, right? So women are ultimately equal to men. And so we see songs by contemporary artists such as Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, and Megan Thee Stallion who really sort of speak to this point about female empowerment, uh, female resistance of really heteronormative beliefs of the way men and women should behave. Am I correct to think that someone like Beyonce works kind of with both of these tropes, both applying some of the more established, more sexist kind of references to women and what femininity is, and on the other hand, also having a capitalist type of feminism? I think that's right. But, but first, I do want to make a distinction. I would not identify Beyonce as a rap artist. I identify Beyonce as an R&B singer, rhythm and blues singer, right? So um, rap artists would more so be in line with Cardi B is famous now, Nicki Minaj, Megan Thee Stallion, right? So I think the aesthetic... The tropes that are put forth by R&B artists may overlap, but there are differences. So within the genre of rap, one of the main tropes that both male and female artists portray is sort of this sort of bombastic, arrogant, some might say narcissistic notion that they essentially they're the winners of the story. They're the winners of the narrative, right? They talk about their wealth. They talk about their status, their high status. They talk about, you know, the expensive clothes that they may have. They talk about their sexual prowess, right? That is sort of one of these fundamental aspects, fundamental uh, tropes of rap music. Whereas there is more latitude in rhythm and blues, right? So yes, yeah, so, so Beyonce does engage in powering language, but also there is a, a presentation of her that is also in line with normative ways of thinking about womanhood. You have also written a lot about race and hip-hop, and in 2016 you published a piece entitled We Stick Out Like a Sore Thumb, Underground White Rappers' Hegemonic Masculinity and Racial Evasion. What was the main finding of that piece? I argue that underground white male artists understand that rap music is predominantly a black and brown art form. Oftentimes, artists of color make references to their race, racism, or some aspect related to their ethnic identity. However, white artists come to understand that expressions of white pride or references to whiteness may delegitimize them in the rap game. So how do they establish credibility? They overemphasize the bad man troop, which we sort of just spoke about. They amplify their masculinity, their control, their dominance of women, and play down or, do, or infrequently speak to their racial background or their ethnicity. So I ultimately argue that white male rappers engage in what I call racial evasion, right? They simply avoid discussions of race in their music or there are infrequent references to race or ethnicity in their music. But they use this as a strategy to present themselves as credible artists and, again, what is perceived of as a predominantly black and brown genre. So the idea is that they, okay, they can't do the race stuff that the black and, and uh, Latino guys do, but what they can do is the other stuff, which is to play up their wealth their supposed wealth, to play up their supposed prowess, to play up supposed dominance, right? That stuff is more masculine. 
they really sort of uh, play up the gender tropes, but play down the racial aspects. We also discussed before this a rapper that we both really appreciate in terms of music, Paris. And mm -hmm. it brings me to the issue of militant politics. In the 1980s, there were several rappers who were close to radical black groups like Nation of Islam and Black Panthers. Are these ties still relevant today? So first, I do differ in my characterization of Black Panthers as Black radical group. So maybe this is more accurate for the Nation of Islam because of their explicit stance on the separation between white and black races. But even here with the Nation of Islam, notions of power at the institutional level have to be factored into the conversation about sort of them being depicted as sort of black radicals. So I view NLI and the Black Panthers as organizations focused on empowering, liberating, and freeing blacks from a racist structure that often harmed them politically, economically, and physically, right? So blacks were killed, maimed, shut out of politics, and prevented from fully profiting from their labor and a racialized capitalist system. For sort of more directly to your point, to your question, there are not as many rap artists who reference the Nation of Islam in their music. Um, I certainly didn't find any in my analysis from uh, 2005 to 2015. There were debatable references to the Black Panthers, more so tangential than direct. Paris, I think, saw himself as an heir to the Black Panthers, whereas Public Enemy had members of NOI who were part of their group, but this isn't present among contemporary rap artists. So today's artists are much more likely to invoke Black Lives Matter as their guiding principle as opposed to principles associated with the Nation of Islam or the Black Panthers. This could have something to do with the role of money, right? As hip-hop has become a multi-billion industry, it looks like rappers have become more cautious and moderate in their public politics. Does the theme and the movement of Black Lives Matter play a prominent role in contemporary hip-hop? I do think that the Black Lives Matter movement is prominent among today's rap artists, given the context and the times that we live in, right? So you have multiple artists who invoke BLM in their music and discuss police brutality and racism in society. But I would like to separate that from the music industry itself, right? So the impetus for sustained, continued discussions about politics, at least along the lines of Black Lives Matter, comes from individual artists and not, I think, is something that's promoted by record labels or record companies. I think we might be in the moment where record companies and labels see that artists are speaking to these things and therefore they won't turn them away. But in terms of sort of genuinely believing in the principles of Black Lives Matter, I still question and doubt that. There are a couple of very famous black producers within rap music, but overall, mm -hmm. is the, is the hip-hop industry black-owned or still predominantly white-owned? It is still predominantly white-owned. So uh, Puff Daddy, 
uh, Russell Simmons. These are two black prominent moguls. But again, they are not the heads of Sony Records, right? They are not the heads of these mega large corporate entities, right? So even though they are multi-millionaires themselves, they are still not part of really the decision makers, right? And so it's still a white-owned genre. The music industry is still white-owned, white-dominated, predominantly male, I should say, uh, predominantly white male, I should say. Right. And so people like Russell Simmons and P. Diddy, are they actually bringing out more political rap artists than their white counterparts, or is it pretty much the same? I mean, there are some groups that Russell has promoted there are some groups that Puff Daddy has promoted who are more political, but relative to other sort of white managers, I, I don't I don't know if they do disproportionately more. I do think they allow a space for those voices to be heard. And I should also say Dr. Dre, right? he needs to be in that group as well. But I don't I wouldn't necessarily say they provide more space for these individuals relative to other white entities. Right. I think it's the case that we're in a moment where, again, these artists are creating spaces for themselves. Right. Sports personalities like Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James have been very vocal mm-hmm. and very visible in the Black Lives Matter protests. Are there some rapper mm-hmm. counterparts who have been particularly vocal in the recent political protests? Yeah, so there's quite a few, I think. Uh, there's Killer Mike. There's Kendrick Lamar, who's produced by Dr. Dre. There's more current artists, one named Da Baby, one named Lil Baby. There are women artists, one named No Name, another named Rhapsody, who are all sort of in claims and are articulating in their music that Black Lives Matter, invoking Black Lives Matter in their music. And they're arguing against police brutality and racism. Um, so actually, Killer Mike, he has actually risen to prominence in this regard over the last uh, several years. He's actually been around for like a little more than 10 years. But over the last six or seven years, he's really sort of stressed Black Lives Matter in his music. Shout out to Atlanta here. Do you think that the current protests will repoliticize hip hop, both in terms of its lyrics and in terms of the industry? I think there are ebbs and flows in political rap. We were at this moment with the death of Trayvon Martin, and Black Lives Matter actually came on the scene with the murder of Michael Brown. So there was a spike in political rap during those times. And if you go back even further, we witnessed a spike in political rap with the beating of Rodney King. So I see a replication of these past events in our current moment. Unfortunately, after each one of these events, there's sort of a lull until the next sort of major death occurs. So I do not have a more positive view of the business side of the music, right? So I think companies, executives provide great lip service, but there's little institutional change, right? So as we talked about earlier, there's really a sort of lack of diversity at the top of the top of the ranks. Moreover, artists are still exploited financially, right? They, they make relatively little um, off of their music. So I have much less faith in record companies to promote, perpetuate, maintain the politicization of the music. Rather, I think the politicization comes from these outside events that occur, which in many ways influence or encourage individual rap artists to speak out against what they see as institutional racism, police brutality, and so forth. 
So you've also written about black basketball players, in particular how the so-called code of the street influences their conduct. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So my colleague Jason Jimerson interviewed black pickup basketball players in the 1990s. So the common perception was that because of this sort of super competitive environment, pickup basketball, that men sort of uh, express the code of the street. Now, the code of the street is this notion that an individual demands respect by using violence if violence is necessary to use. Um, what we found in our research was that players were more vulnerable and empathetic than sort of the literature suggested. Players acted differently from what they said on the basketball court. So they may have said while, while playing basketball, they may have presented themselves or expressed themselves in sort of aggressive or intimidating ways, right? Saying that they're not to be messed with. But off the court, they disclosed close bonds with their significant other and their children. So really, we wanted to present a more complicated notion and nuanced notion of black manhood and black masculinity. Yeah, and this reminds me of the famous distinction by the sociologist Goffman between the front stage and the backstage. Exactly. So coming to an end, what is the most common misperception about politics and rap music? The most common misperception is that the music is merely an expression of anger and violence by black people. I argue that rappers are expressing the fragility, the humanity, and the pain of Black people, particularly Black youth, at uh, this moment in time. They are what some Africans call the griots, right? The griots are the storytellers of the Black experience in modern time. They ultimately deserve to be heard and validated. I think I think they have something to say, and they have something to say that is worth us listening to. That's a beautiful ending of the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Matthew. No problem. Thank you for having me. Matthew Owari must be the most modest academic in this country, as he's neither on Twitter nor does he have a website. However, if you've enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more about his work, please buy his book. I got something to say, gender, race, and social consciousness in rap music, which is only 20 bucks in ebook version and 28 in softcover. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling. They say it's at its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Paul Newell. He went with Danny Baker. Sing you silly disco songs and read him melody later. I see him down the bunker, playing with his beard. No wonder that class capital turned out a little weird.